this is the first time we're going to have a discourse by uh, someone else other than the Buddha. And it's also called a sutta, which usually is only used for the Buddha's discourses, because it is uh, given by one of his enlightened disciples and was incorporated into the Pali Canon at the uh, Third Great Council of Arahants when the Kali, Pali Canon, so to say, was made into a canon. After that, nothing else was added or subtracted from it and everything that was added later called commentaries. Now, this enlightened disciple is uh, considered or was uh, is written about as the, the Buddhist um, right-hand disciple and uh, the one with the greatest of wisdom. Venerable Sariputta Tera. Tera just means elder. Anyone who's in robes over 10 years is a Tera. Anyone over 20 years in robes is a Maha Tera, a great Tera. So it's Venerable Sariputta that is giving this uh, discourse. It's called the simile of the elephant's footprint. Because Sariputta mentions that. And it's number 28 in the Middle End Spains. Again, it's a discourse concerned with insight. As I mentioned already yesterday, we have had, I believe, sufficient instruction on the um, tranquility meditation method and where it takes us. So we have now are now um, getting more and more, uh, in details on the um, methods of insight. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jata's Grove, under Pindika's Park. And there the Venerable Sariputta addressed the bhikkhus thus, Friends, bhikkhus. Friends, they replied. The Venerable Sariputta said this, Friends, just as the footprint of any living being that walks can be placed within an elephant's footprint, and so the elephant's footprint is declared the chief of them because of its great size. So too, whatever profitable dhammas there are can all be included in the Four Noble Truths. He's using the elephant's footprint being so large compared to compare with the Four Noble Truths. Whatever profitable dhammas, all wholesome mind moments, mind content in this case. The word Dhamma is um, a a difficult one because it has so many different meanings and in this case we can say that it concerns the content, the mind states and the content of the mind. So they can all be included in the Four Noble Truths. And then he says then Four Noble Truths. In the Noble Truths of Suffering, in the Noble Truths of the Origin of Suffering, in the Noble Truths of the Cessation of Suffering, and in the Noble Truths of the Way Leading to the Cessation of Suffering. Third one, first two we know, Dukkha and 
how it, com- how it comes to us through craving. Third one is Nibbana, the cessation, and the fourth one is the Noble Eightfold Path. We have already discussed those in detail when we were discussing the foundations of mindfulness. Now he says, and what is the noble truth of suffering? And this is standard uh, terminology. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, death is suffering. Sorrow and lamentation, pain, grief and despair are suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. In short, the five aggregates affected by clinging are suffering. In fact, this is a chant. Um, It it is such a um, traditional way of expressing that it is also chanted. And birth, aging, and death are the main springs of seeing that human beings have suffering. But since we forget these three, thorough lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, not to get what one wants, but in short, all the five aggregates affected by clinging are suffering. So we don't have to go any further except the five aggregates. Now, yesterday's sutta was about the five aggregates, and um, why are they suffering? Why are the five aggregates suffering? Clinging to them. Yes. Because we want to identify with them. And now again he says, and what are the five aggregates affected by clinging? The form aggregate, feeling, perception, mental formation, and sense consciousness. And then he says, and what is the form aggregate affected by clinging? It is the four great primary elements in any form derived from them. <clears throat> now, in this case, the word form is always very a bit of difficult. It, it's concerning our body. It's called, it's, what we should read here is this. And what, what is this body aggregate affected by clinging? It is the four great primary elements and any form derived from them. And what are the four great primary elements? They are the earth, the water, the fire, and the air element. And so what he's doing is he's giving a discourse to these bhikkhus and uh, tells, gives a little sort of a general um, introduction and then he gets down to the elements. And now this whole discourse is on the elements. And what is the earth element? The earth element can be either in oneself or external. What is the earth element in oneself? Whatever in oneself belonging to oneself is solid, solidified, and clung to. That is to say, and now he recites the, what are called the 32 parts of the body, which always wind up to be 31. And I don't know why, to tell you the truth. But they're called the 32 parts of the body. And uh, this is a very um, um, traditional meditation uh, method which was mentioned in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness but which I changed into saying, okay, open up your body, take out all the bits and pieces that you can find inside and look at them and see which one is yours or which one is you, sorry. So the uh, traditional way 
is to recite like this. That is to say, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, midriff, spleen. Oh, there's a misprint. Spleen, what's light? What's after spleen? What's the chanting book? No. Okay. Bowels, entrails, gorge, dung, or whatever else in oneself, belonging to oneself, that is solid, solidified, and clung to. This is called earth element in oneself. So the um, idea is to re- recognize that everything that has any kind of solidity is the earth element, because the earth element does not just mean earth as we find it outside, it means everything that's solid. So it identifies the solid things. Yes. Now, earth element in oneself and external earth element are simply earth element. And that should be seen as it actually is with right understanding thus. This is not mine, this is not I, this is not myself. When a man sees it with right understanding as it actually is, thus he becomes dispassionate towards the earth element and he fades lust and lust fades for the earth element out of his mind. Lust for the earth element is of course a um, uh, very common experience in human life which means that one is lusting first of all after another person and secondly the lust that is connected with the comforts and pleasures of this body. We could say that the earth element is that which we can touch easily. That part of anything that we can touch. Now when we touch water, we most easily touch the solidified part of it, that which is solid. That's the earth element in it. And the same goes for air. We can't really touch it, but whatever we can see in air is the earth element in it. All elements have all other elements in them. We ourselves have a lot of earth element, a lot of solidity in us, but most of us, most of it is water, and yet we don't see it. So the whole aspect of the elements, although it's scientifically known to us and presents nothing new, is not something that we can see with our um, physical eye. We can't see it, our vision isn't good enough, and because of that we don't pay attention to it. So if we can look at our body, not just that it's decaying and that it isn't uh, pleasing us or that it's um, not doing what we want, but we can also see it in the, in the way of, a, of the earth element which is most apparent to us. The earth element is the most apparent aspect of the body. It, we may become a little dispassionate towards it. All of this is designed to counterbalance our passion so that it becomes dispassion and remains on an equal base, on an equilibrium of equanimity. Now, there is the occasion when the external earth element is disturbed 
and then the external earth element vanishes. It's not described as what it is. Can you guess when the external earth element is disturbed? What happens when the external earth element is disturbed? Sorry? No, that's water element. Earthquake. <laughs> it's that's one of one of them, one possibility, earthquake. Um, there is more to it than that. Um, the commentary explains it as world destruction. Well, the earth element is certainly disturbed if you throw a bomb bomb down from an airplane. And world destruction is something that's mentioned by commentary. Um, Buddha mentions it too that everything is constantly uh, contracting and expanding and earth does too so there are times when there is no there are no such planets as we know them now and then there are other times when they come to be again in other words he does not subscribe to the big bang uh, theory there is no such thing in the Buddha's teaching as one moment of um, uh, creation it is a constant round of creation and destruction and creation and destruction so anyway the the external earth element is disturbed earthquake and then the external earth element vanishes well we we can very easily see that when we have erosion at the beach it disappears houses or everything goes it falls into the ocean happened at the Gold Coast mm. with the universe expanding and contracting and dissolution being being intrinsic within it well what happens to the universal mind universal mind is also not absolute reality it's still Universal mind is still a relative reality. So that's contracting and dissolving with the universe. And re-arises. Doesn't matter as long as we dissolve ourselves before that. <laughs> <laughs> Get get uh, get out before it all happens. <laughs> it's okay. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter for the practice. <laughs> so for even this external earth element, great as it is, is describable as impermanent, as subject to destruction, as subject to disappearance as subject to change. So what of this body, which is clung to by craving and lasts but a while? There can be no, considering such a state of affairs, no thing that is I or mine or am. So what the, uh, what the Venerable Sariputta is saying here, look at what happens to earth. It disappears and it cracks up and is disturbed and yet you put such an importance to this one body 
that is uh, in comparison infinitely small to the whole of the earth element which we could actually know about even on this one planet so then having seen this element as it actually is if others abuse and scold curse and threaten a bhikkhu he understands us this painful feeling born of ear contact has arisen in me <laughs> and this is a very important teaching and it has been used to great advantage by people who are in unfortunate con- situations where painful ear contact happens a lot <laughs> like bad marriages and um, <laughs> it's quite true it's really really true if one has a situation where one can't get out of in other words somebody really abuses you and, and uh, scolds and it's uh, it's uh, totally unwanted and uh, it's repetitive and uh, you can't do anything about it apparently um, you can realize that this is nothing but sound and because it is sound which is not pleasing to the mind it becomes painful one doesn't have to um, take it in as something which is um, hurting one it is just a, a painful feeling which is also disappearing again so now this painful feeling born of ear contact has arisen in me that is dependent not independent depend on what dependent on contact so the painful feeling has arisen dependent on the ear contact uh, on the sound contact then he sees that contact is impermanent that feeling is impermanent that perception is impermanent that mental formations are impermanent and that sense consciousness is impermanent and his mind which has already made what? which has already made an element constituent of the form aggregate I'm sorry I don't understand that and his mind which has already made an element constituent of the fire okay of the form aggregate is object its objective support enters into that new objective support now contemplated and acquires confidence steadiness and decision nice sentence (laughs) okay the the mind has used the earth element as its focus of attention and therefore has that as a support system when we meditate or contemplate we have we gain a support system through the insight gained so in this case we have gained insight into the fact that this body has to a great extent earth element which is solidity we don't have to say well this is me and mine we say earth element so he has gained a support system by that now because he needs another support because he's getting painful feelings from this ear contact he now enters into that new objective support being contemplated which is the contemplation of the ear contact which is another completely objective looking at what's happening and again he inquires confidence steadiness and decision he doesn't look at it in the old familiar way anymore this person is 
it's uh, nasty to me she, that person is not nice to me uh, what did I wrong I don't ever do anything wrong it just not, I'm not being appreciated and so on and so forth but it is painful ear contact and that's all and because of that the mind becomes decisive steady and confident now that confident of course freaks other people out there's no doubt about it but that can't be helped that confidence is part of the path when there's inner strength then confidence arises it just can't be helped the lack of confidence in oneself is due to the lack of inner strength and the lack of inner strength comes about because one sees things in the way everybody sees them and can't actually get out of the dukkha but once one sees things in a different way one has a different perspective a different uh, viewpoint a different standpoint there is no such um, botheration anymore as there was before and the inner strength arises now is this clear what we've just done all right so first we look at the earth element and we don't have to worry about this body so much because it's earth element and then we hear when we get some abuse we get painful ear contact and we say oh well, yes that's what's happening now if others attack that bhikkhu with unwished for undesired and disagreeable contact of fists clawed sticks or knives in other words now he's being physically attacked he understands thus this body is a thing that such that contact with fists, clawed, sticks and knives takes place in it. <laughs> but this has been said by the Blessed One in his discord on the simile of the saw. You haven't heard that one, that simile of the saw. But that is the sentence. Even if bandits savagely severed limb from limb with a two-handled saw, he who entertained hate in his heart on that account would not be one who carried out my teaching now this obviously is something we can't do but we can remember it and I can assure you it's worthwhile remembering because that's very likely not very likely that anybody is going to come with a two-handled saw they usually keep them in museums these days um, and sever us limb from limb and anything else that people can do to us would not be comparable to that and the story that is attached to that maybe I'll tell you later or we'll read that sutta another day um, is that there was such a sage that uh, this was happening to and didn't blink an eyelid apparently well all right he was an enlightened arahant okay we are not enlightened arahant but at least we have something to go by he said if one didn't act in that way if one had had hate in one's heart because of this um, physical um, mishap one would not carry out the Buddha's teaching so in other words there is absolutely no justification anywhere in the world in this universe for hate no justification that it exists is a second matter it does that is not being questioned that it exists but what the Buddha says is there is no justification for it it's strictly a matter of letting come out what's sitting inside 
One of the very unfortunate uh, habits of humankind, humanity, is that if we haven't got something really solid to hate, something which is really worthwhile hating, we think, we find something. Because the hate that's inside wants to get out. And we find some things to hate which are so utterly absurd that the the next person who hasn't thought of the same outlet can't understand it. With the greatest absurdity, people hate things. Sometimes we hate the expression on somebody's face. The poor person can't, doesn't even know they've got that expression. <laughs> so this is what the Buddha is talking about here, huh? That there's absolutely no reason for it. And what we are helped by, these are the two methods to help us. Now obviously, just to read this and talk about it's not enough. This has to be contemplated in a meditative state. We have to actually meditate upon it, that this earth element is just what we are and there is really no reason to get upset about whatever happens to it, death, decay, old age, uh, painful feelings, whatever, and then even attack. And the same goes, of course, for this ear contact because that's also physical, huh? Mm. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but yes, yes, the same thing, isn't it? Yes, it's good. <laughs> Could call that sutta then, but it actually, in actual fact, it's called Mahahati Padopama Sutta. Mahahati, I think that's the great elephant, Mahahati. Padopama, that's his footprints, yes, the great elephant's footprints, that's right. Now then, if he... Oh no, it doesn't go on, sorry. So tireless energy shall be aroused in me, and unremitting mindfulness established. My body shall be tranquil and unexcited. My mind shall be concentrated and unified. And now, let contact with fits, cloth, sticks and knives take place in this body, for this is just how the Buddha's message is put into effect. What I put as saying is that if I can understand this and unify my mind and tranquil, have a tranquil body, then let this happen, because only then can I put the Buddha's teaching into effect. He says, don't, he doesn't say, don't let this happen to me. He says, let it happen. Let somebody attack me. And let somebody... Uh, you know, hit me so that I can then actually do according to what the Buddha taught in other words we should welcome Dukkha we should welcome it and uh, look at it and say this is my teacher this is the one I revere this is the one who can teach me most things but only if I pay very good attention. If, when he thus recollects the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, equanimity does not persist in him with the profitable as its support, then he arouses a sense of urgency thus. It is lost for me, it is no gain for me, it is bad for me, it is no good for me, that when I recollect the Buddha Dhamma Sangha thus, equanimity does not persist in me 
with the profitable as its support. In other words, if things don't work out this way, as they have been described here, one should give oneself a pep, pep talk that if one doesn't have equanimity and have wholesome thoughts, then there is, um, one must be realizing that this is bad for oneself. And recollecting Buddha Dhamma Sangha, it's a traditional way of expressing oneself, but I have often advocated that if one isn't sure how to act in a certain matter, whatever it may be, one should try and have an idea what would the Buddha have done. Not that one would know exactly, but it gives one a little bit of a wider scope of reference. It's not just my mind trying to figure it out. Our minds are full of viewpoints and opinions and totally unreliable, as any meditator should know that one's own mind is not reliable. So if we then have a uncertainty about how to act in at any time, it is, can be very helpful to have that kind of uh, consideration. What would the Buddha have done in this case? If, if he was here now, what would he do? Or what would he say? Or what would he not say? It may not be at all right. It may not at all be what the Buddha would have done or said. But at least it doesn't just leave that very limited and very um, ego-centered idea in the mind that oneself can figure out. This is part of the reverence for Buddha Dhamma Sangha. One can also equally say, well, what does the Dhamma say? Can I remember anything at all that the Dhamma might say about this specific occasion that I'm now confronted with. And since human occasions are constantly the same, everything has already happened, and it will happen again and again, we can, if we remember enough of the Dhamma, find that type of occasion within the suttas somewhere. You can see that from all this verbiage that is uh, uh, in here, we can refer to our own lives with every bit of it, even though the words are something that we wouldn't use today, even the English words. But yet, it's all happening. So we can say, can I remember anything about the Dhamma that would refer to this particular thing that I now have in mind to say or to do, or even to think? What does the Dhamma say about this particular thought pattern that I'm evolving here, or this thought process that's happening? very useful and very, very helpful. Sangha in this case just means enlightened ones. The four pairs, the eight types, that's Sangha. The rest is not Sangha. The rest is monks and nuns or meditators. In America, they have taken to call Sangha everybody who knows how to cross their legs and watch their breath. That is in America called Sangha. Um, an unfortunate um, watering down of what it really means because we don't take refuge in everybody who crosses their legs and watches their breath. We take refuge in the enlightened Sangha and taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha means enlightenment, the teaching, the great teaching and the enlightened ones. 
So that goes along, uh, Sangha goes along with Buddha, I mean, what would they have done? But it's easier, I think, anyway, to refer to one person whom we get to know a bit through his discourses and see, now, how, how would he have handled it? Or what does it say anywhere that we can remember? And if we can't get equanimity going because of that, we must realize that whatever this was arousing this uh, anxiety or worry or fear, it's of no gain for oneself. It can only be a loss because one loses one's harmony and peace within. Now here comes a, a simile which to tell you the truth I can't relate to. The simile which is given now just as when a daughter-in-law sees her father-in-law she has a sense of urgency so too if a bhikkhu thus recollects Buddha Dhamma Sangha and equanimity does not persist in him with the profitable as its support, then he arouses a sense of urgency thus. It is lost for me, it's no gain for me, it's bad for me, it's no good for me that when I recollect the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, equanimity does not persist in me. So what has that got to do with the daughter-in-law and the father-in-law? I can't see the connection. Unless in those days daughter-in-laws were afraid of fathers-in-law. That's the only idea I can possibly get. They were scared of them and so they were, uh, they were urgent, was urgent for them to behave nicely or something like that. We have become a bit emancipated, I guess. <laughs> but if when a bhikkhu recollects the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, equanimity becomes established in him with what is profitable as its support, then he's satisfied. And at that point, friends, much has been done by the bhikkhu. See, now, what is being said here is that there's a certain pathway of practice. And if one realizes that if we recollect Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and then we do become even-minded, have an equilibrium within, because we remember what the Buddha has done or what the Dhamma says, then we have already established a foothold in this practice. And for that remembering how the Buddha would have acted and what the Dhamma says, we have to try and keep in mind, in the forefront of mind, any of those things which we think are of value to us. So if we have any of the things that we have that just written down or heard which you think are important for your life and for your harmonious life, you've got to bring them back up into the mind over and over again until they become so much part of oneself that whatever happens, one's going to react in that way. One of the things which one has to bring up into the mind over and over again is to be mindful, to watch oneself. In the beginning it's a chore. In the beginning it's a, it's a hit or miss affair. More miss than hit usually. But eventually it becomes habit. But only if one keeps bringing it up into the mind over and over again. The same goes for any insight which has arisen. Here we are talking not about mindfulness. Here what we are talking about are the insights, the earth element of which everything uh, consists that 
has materiality, that has form, and which can be destroyed in whole outside. So what to say about this little bit earth element here and the painful ear contact which has absolutely no um, cause, is no cause for reaction. And then the painful um, body contact, the touch contact, is also no cause for reaction. And so these are the uh, insights which one has to bring up in for, uh, into one's mind over and over again. If they have become something, one can see. Now obviously if somebody attacks us on the street, do we think it's right not to do anything? And if not, why not? So we have to sort of find our own insight into this. It's no good saying, oh yes, yes, the Buddha's right, that's right. It doesn't help. We're still going to react in our old way. Our habits are established. Our thought processes are established. This is me and I don't want to be hit. Obvious, isn't it? But what is in Christianity if somebody hits you on the left cheek, turn the right or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's the same thing. Same thing. But who does it? hard to find such people so if one does this sort of thing and have understood all this and equanimity is established one has gone a long way now we come to the water element what's the water element the water element can be either in oneself or external what is the water element in oneself whatever in oneself belonging to oneself is water watery and clung to that is to say bile, phlegm, pus Blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, urine. These are other parts of those 32 parts. Or whatever else in oneself, belonging to oneself, is water, watery, and clung to. This is called water element in oneself. Now, water element in oneself and external water element are simply water element. That should be seen with right understanding as it actually is. This is not mine. This is not I. This is not myself. Now, this again, I suggest to do the same. Sweat, tears, bile, phlegm, snot, urine. Look at it when it's no longer within the body and say, this is me. I doubt it. (laughs) You're going to say, this was me? definitely not (laughs) it's extremely helpful extremely useful because it actually shows things as they are all of these things are a necessary part of a pathway which leads to Nibbana and the Buddha's pathway has only one reason one goal one aim to take one to Nibbana and we have to use all the assistance we can get on the way all the support systems which are possible and these are very important support systems look at the urine next time and say this is me and then laugh at yourself and say of course it's not me so why do I think that this me is me if the urine isn't me or the sweat if you have any 
phlegm. Very, very important thing to do uh, as a contemplative uh, action, which can be actually seen with one's own eyes. Now, when a man sees it thus, with right understanding, as it actually is, he becomes dis- dispassionate towards the water element, and lust for the water element fades out of his mind. Now, this doesn't, it's not supposed to mean that we are lusting for these things usually, like blood, sweat, fat, tears, and grease. Um, this is grease, um, um, body grease. We don't lust for them. What we lust for is that whole of a form which has these things as parts of them. We don't consider that this form that we see that we are lusting for, either someone else's or our own, that that consists of all these elements. We don't even want to know that. We'd much rather not know about that. Um, we see something entirely different. We see a mind-made object of beauty or a mind-made object of comfort or something of that nature. We don't see that all these elements are part of that. So the lust fades for the form which contains water element. Buddhist um, uh, teaching often lacks some of that uh, descriptive uh, element in it and one wonders at least I do whether it's been left out because it's you know been repeated and repeated and repeated until it was written down finally or whether it wasn't necessary because everybody knew what he talked was talking about I can't say I have no idea it's either one or the other either it got lost or it uh, everybody knew anyway but when we read that lust for the water element fades out of his mind I don't think that we're going to get a lot out of it until we make it up our mind what is the meaning behind this. Now, there's an occasion when the water element is disturbed. Now, we can see a lot of that in Australia. It carries away villages, towns, cities, districts, and countries. There's an occasion when the waters in the great ocean sink down 100 leagues, 200 leagues, up to 700 there's an occasion when the water in the great ocean stands seven palm trees deep, six, five, up to one palm tree deep. There's an occasion when the water in the great ocean stands seven fathom deep, or only one. There's an occasion when the waters in the great ocean stand half a fathom deep, only waist deep, only knee deep, only ankle deep. There's an occasion when the waters in the great ocean are not enough to wet even the joint of a finger. Now what he's talking about are floods, uh, torrential rains, um, obviously the kind of um, um, uh, tides that go in and out in the ocean, ebb and tide. So that, and also uh, the drought, when there's no water in the, in the river, or things just get intri- uh, very dry, or when there's so much that um, we have, you know, uh, disasters. For even this external water element, great as it is, is describable as impermanent, subject to destruction, subject to disappearance, as subject to change. So what of this body, which is clung to by craving and lasts but a while? There can be no considering that as I or mine or am. So if we have a real insight into the elements (coughs) and see that this body really is, up to now we've seen water and earth 
and then we refer to the outside water and earth element it really makes the mind see this in a totally different manner it isn't so much anymore this particular person which is either beautiful or handsome or ugly or um, slim or fat or uh, thick or well it isn't any of that it's elements elements which are everywhere to be found and if we get this passionate when there's no passion there's no disturbance (coughs) passion is a disturber Now, obviously, in the world out there, it's difficult to retain that kind of standpoint. Everything out there speaks against it. The body is being catered to and catered for in all manner and form. The more wealthy the society is, the more catering for the body is happening. In a poor society, catering for the mind is far more apt to happen in a society which is just barely surviving it's neither one nor the other so we are usually living in rich society wealthy society catering for the body becomes a fetish it becomes so enormous that we can't see it anymore the things which we consider necessary in a house are of uh, such uh, variants and there are so many of them so much proliferation that we hardly pay attention to it anymore we're used to it that's the way it's supposed to be and yet what are we catering to catering for earth and water elements just there would be a great deal of lamentation all this earth and water in the living on the couch and on the easy chair and on the carpet and what is sitting there anyway earth and water nothing else it's just that this earth and water element can talk and can argue and can think that's all but that's the mind part of it so if we see ourselves a little more the way we really are this passion will come to us and this passion is synonymous with equanimity when there is no passion there can only be equanimity and equanimity is the peaceful harmonious feeling the ease with which one goes through thick or thin whatever it doesn't matter it's where the non-reaction happens out of insight and not out of suppression and where the mind stays tuned to the universal 
verities, the universal truth system, rather than tuned to the personal and very egocentric identification. As long as we rather think of ourselves as this one person who wants and doesn't want, things are difficult. It's just not possible to get everything one wants. And it's very possible to get what one doesn't want. And it is difficult. But the sooner we let go of this personal viewpoint and see a universal aspect of unsatisfactoriness and elements, the sooner we do that, the sooner some even-mindedness arises. Things are not half as difficult as before because that's just the way they are. And as they arise and as they happen, they also pass away again, don't they? All of them. Elements, whatever they are. So that was water. Uh, So then there's a repetition of the previous... um, 11 to 14. Again, about... um, If others abuse and scold and curse and threaten a bhikkhu, he understands this painful feeling born of ear contact has arisen in me, it's depend, not independent. And if the mind has already made an element constituent of the form aggregate, the water element in this case, as a support system, then the new support system is contemplated. And also if the disagreeable contact of fists, clods, sticks or knives comes, he understands the body is a thing such that contact with fist, cloth, sticks and knives takes place. And considering the water element, he remains tranquil. So then, having seen this element as it actually is, and he remains equanimous, much has been done by that bhikkhu. It's a complete repetition of what uh, was said about the earth element, how it's how it's the healing and the attacking and uh, then the remembering of Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha all of it is equanimity as a result any questions? is this all clear? What? how to do it from now on? it's not enough as I said before to just hear it it has to be contemplated Now, the water element is something we can see in us uh, almost as easily as the earth element. It's not very difficult. And we certainly can see it outside of ourselves. There's plenty of water around. And um, it's also the binding element. So we have um, much occasion to see it properly. That's through the fire element. What is the fire element? The fire element can either be in oneself or external. What is the fire element in oneself? Whatever in oneself, belonging to oneself, is fire, fury, and clung to. That is to say, that whereby one is warmed, that which ages and is consumed, and that whereby what is eaten, drunk, chewed, and tasted gets completely digested, 
or whatever else than oneself belonging to oneself is fire, fury, and clung to. This is called fire element in oneself. The fire element is that which consumes, <coughs> just like fire consumes the fuel, so fire consumes, consumes the fuel within us, so it digests. It's also the um, aging element. It consumes the uh, cells. In other words, it has fuel, and all that fuel is eaten up by the fire. Now, fire element in oneself and external are simply fire element. That should be seen with right understanding as it actually is. It's not mine, not I, not myself. When a man sees it thus with right understanding as it actually is, he becomes dispassionate towards the fire element. Lust for the fire element fades out of his mind. There is no occasion when the external fire element is disturbed. It burns up village, town, city, district, and country. Bushfire. We have plenty of that in Australia. It only goes out when it comes to green grass or to a road. Sometimes not even then. Or to a rock or to water or a fair open space for want of fuel. There is an occasion when one wants to make a fire even with fowl's claws and hide parings. Now that last sentence means that one hasn't got any fuel to make fire. So at sometimes one looking for fire and hasn't got it and uh, the other times it's coming and just consuming whatever's in its path for even this external fire element great as it is is describable as impermanent subject to destruction subject to disappearance as subject to change so what of this body which clung to by craving and lasts but a while there can be no considering that as I me or mine so we can, fire element is not difficult to imagine outside of ourselves, first of all as heat or temperature, but also um, this country is specifically prone to tremendous destruction by fire and uh, continually. There seems there's uh, hardly ever a time when there aren't any. And we can see that they are, that they are spontaneous combustion there's nobody setting a fire. A bushfire is usually spontaneous combustion from the heat. So that's the fire element and it's consuming and also it goes out again. So the fire element in us it's spontaneous combustion that digests our food but also this fire element obviously is impermanent and disappears when we die. So if we can look upon ourselves with less passion and greater dispassion and see ourselves in the same way as we can see a bushfire, as we can see a flood or a drought, or as we can see an earthquake or just a vegetable garden, and see ourselves in that way, we've done a lot. It's difficult to get away from this idea this is me because who's seeing all this who is the knower now that has to be questioned and found out but if we don't ever get a little nearer to this absolute truth we're always going to have the same problems that we've always had the me always has 
the identical problem over and over again. It can't have any others because it's always the same me. It's the idea of the me sitting within this changing element within the changing mind states but it's always the same idea. So that has the same problems over and over and over. And they are not, they can't be escaped from because there's the person, if there's a person that is caught and there is no escape, the escape is for the one who lets that person escape. That's why the Buddha is constantly showing us ways and means of seeing it in a different viewpoint, seeing ourselves differently. And if we don't do that, we can't do that because we're too stuck in our own habits. We'll have to keep on trying over and over. Anything that we have realized ourselves has to be brought up to the mind, to the forefront of the mind, so that we have access to it. Now again, when with this fire element, sorry, there was a fire element, oh yes. Now again, it gives exactly the same paragraphs again, and it says exactly the same things again about the fire element as he did about the earth element. Um, I'll read that once more. So then, Having seen this element, this fire element, as it actually is, if others abuse and scold, curse and threaten a bhikkhu, he understands thus, this painful feeling born of ear contact has arisen in me that is dependent, not independent, depend on what? Depend on contact. And then he sees that contact is impermanent, feeling is impermanent, perception is impermanent, mental formations are impermanent, and sense consciousness is impermanent. And his mind which has already made an element constituent, the water element, the water constituent of the elements, of the form aggregate, its objective support, enters into that new objective support now contemplated and acquires confidence, steadiness and decision. So having made, now in this case, a fire element, our support system for seeing things in a different way, one now also realizes that the dependency on the aggregates is totally impermanent and that's another support system. Now if others attack the bhikkhu with unwished for undesired and disagreeable contact of fists, clods, sticks or knives, he understands thus. This body is a thing such that contact with fists, clods, sticks and knives takes place. But this has been said by the Blessed One in his discourse on the simile of the saw, even if banded seven savagely sever limb from limb with a two-handled saw, he who entertained hate in his heart on that account would not be one who carried out my teaching. So tireless energy shall be aroused in me and unremitting mindfulness established. Unremitting means without pause. My body shall be tranquil and unexcited. My mind shall be concentrated and unified. And now let contact with fists, clods, sticks and knives take place in this body for this is just how the Buddha's message is put into effect. If when he thus recollects the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, equanimity does not persist in him, with a profitable as its support, then he arouses a sense of urgency thus. It is lost for me, it's no gain. It's bad for me, it's not good for me. 
that when I recollect the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, equanimity does not persist in me with a profitable effort support. But when a, if a, when a bhikkhu recollects Buddha Dhamma Sangha, equanimity becomes established in him with what is profitable as its support, then he's satisfied. And at that point, friends, much has been done by the bhikkhu. So we, what we're seeing here is the contemplation into the elements in order to arouse a dispassionate standpoint towards oneself. Then, when that has happened, as the one support system, and then there is abuse by wood, that support system already helps one to be totally dispassionate towards the aggregates, which you've already heard about, which in this case is the unpleasant feeling which has arisen depend on the contact of the sound. So the first dispassion towards the elements arouses the second dispassion towards the aggregates. Then when the attack is physical, by fists or whatever, then one realizes that the Buddha has said there is never any justification for hate, no matter what. And because of those two support systems, that one has seen the body as elements and one has seen oneself as aggregates, the reaction to this attack is one with equanimity. If that doesn't take place, the equanimity, one calls, calls for assistance, the recollection of what would the Buddha do, what does the Dhamma tell me, and then that is the third support system. Third support system, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, how would this help? How would they act so that I can have the help in this particular instance? And when the equanimity has become established in that case, one has done a great deal. One has done a lot. So we've done earth, water, fire. There's still air. Air and more aggregates. Are there any questions? Pain related to fire element. What is pain? Unpleasant feeling. No, sorry, uh, physical pain. Yes, uh, it's an unpleasant feeling. It's one of it's one of the aggregates. It uh, belongs to the aggregates. When you call it pain, you have already given it a, a perception, a name. So the first thing is that it's contact, then feeling, then it gets perception, and then comes the dislike. Yeah, I know that. Pain in the left knee, of course. Yes. That arises, but what is it physically? Do you think that has a, a relation to the fire element, or? It has. It has a relation to a bit of disturbance in the all, all the elements. There's a bit of disturbance in all the elements. And that's why we call it pain. I mean, there's a disturbance also in the earth element. There's disturbance uh, in, in all the elements are a bit disturbed. And uh, one of them could be more disturbed than the other. Yes. And I think that... Uh, 
we find that Chinese medicine um, is built up on that, particularly acupuncture, very much built up on, on, on the uh, aspect of the element. It's a disturbance in it, and sometimes, of course, they're not all equally disturbed, sometimes one more than the other. But we don't consider it like that. You see, if a person like the Buddha would have considered pain in such way, he wouldn't, that would have been no reaction to it. Well, we consider that as a, you know, personal affront, actually. And we do react to it. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a personal matter with us. You know, my back hurts, you know, my back, you know, and that type of thing. Anything else? So the way we should go about using the elements for insight meditation is to to um, look at the parts, the separate parts of the the elements in the body, and then and relate to what's around us back to the body. As far as the elements go, yes, yes, water, fire, earth, yes. All that is outside, all that is inside too. And once you relate to the outside and to the inside in that manner, it takes away a little at least of that me feeling. The me feeling is the greatest uh, problem. There is no other problem actually. That's all the problem there is. Everything derives from that one problem. And even if one can't put a stop to it right then there, to that me feeling and to that me problem, one sees it like that, it's already a great step. Because one knows that exactly where all the problems come from. They don't come from other people. They come from the me feeling. At least one has pinpointed the cause. So having pinpointed the cause, one at least knows what one should be doing. Get rid of the cause. But what the whole world is usually doing, they're trying to get rid of the effect. And this is what our, that's why it doesn't work, because the effect re-arises. Now, I, I want to emphasize once more that the Buddhist um, teaching, while it uses the jhanas for a pathway to give the mind stability, confidence, single-pointedness, the whole of the teaching is geared towards insight. If the jhanas are nothing but a means they are not an end in themselves. I mean, they are very good means, they are excellent, but they are not an end in themselves. To get the insight into oneself from a dispassionate standpoint, that is the end in itself. And one can only go for these, have a, the past moment, leave behind this um, idea if one has an understanding of this, 
if one doesn't have an understanding of it it um, it will never be an understood experience and without an understood experience it doesn't um, it doesn't give us the uh, benefit on the contrary it can disorientate that's why the Buddha repeats himself is specific goes into details and uh, make sure that people do understand what he's saying any question both practices can be done um, you know at the same in, in one's uh, practicing life we don't have to get complete insight and then do calm or get complete calm and then do insight that's not necessary but there are many people who first need to get a bit of insight before they can become calm at all and uh, there are even more people who've got to become calm before they get any insight at all because it's just too difficult to see oneself in a totally different light so I would say that actually possibly one could say it's half and half you know there are that many people that need one and there are the other kind that need the other first but one practices always both so that one gives both levels a chance it's been a common practice for in, in a traditional way to practice both and the Buddhist uh, words are in that direction Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. look within you see if you can find that soft warm spot that creates love and surrender give yourself to that enlarge it so that it fills your whole body from head to toe that loving and giving outward and encompass everyone here 
fill everyone here from head to toe with a soft, warm feeling of love. Spread that soft, warm feeling of love to those nearest and dearest to you. Fill them from head to toe. Spread that feeling softness and warmth and love amongst all your friends. Fill them completely from head to toe. This is those feelings. Think of acquaintances, neighbors, people at work, in the shops, tradesmen. Let the soft warmth from your heart reach out to all of them.
fill them and surround them giving the best from your heart Let the soft, warm feeling from your heart reach out to anyone whom you may not like very much. Fill that person too with your love, with your warmth, with your surrender. Think of people all over Australia, in the cities, the towns, the villages, and the farms. People of many backgrounds, many diverse occupations, beliefs. belonging together in time let them belong together because of your love and your giving the warmth and softness from your heart to all of them
and put your attention back on yourself come back to that warm soft spot within you which contains love and surrender fill yourself surround yourself with these feelings become one with them And may all beings be happy.